Thank you for joining me today on the next installment of what I call our podcast. And with all the news coming out of Washington, I thought it would be appropriate to step away from markets for a day and focus on some of the legislation that's been going on in Washington. We're not going to talk politics today. We're not going to talk White House. We're going to focus on the legislative agenda. And so we're going to talk about health care reform. And then later on today, we'll talk about uh, tax reform. And so to start that discussion, I've invited uh, someone I know well, actually, my brother, Matthew Penzener, to join me to talk about healthcare reform. And to just give you some background, to know this isn't nepotism, Matthew is the executive director of the Clinically Integrated Network at NYU Langone's Medical Center. He's also the host of Healthcare Connect on Sirius XM Radio. That's a show that provides information and commentary on topics including claims issues, health policy, and healthcare reform. And at NYU, Matt is responsible for all aspects of clinical integration, including financial contract performance and patient quality outcomes. His experience includes developing physicians pay for performance initiatives, contract payment compliance, and provider advocacy. And probably most importantly, and most unfortunately, he's my brother. Matt, thanks for joining us. No problem. It is unfortunate, but uh, you can't choose your siblings, unfortunately. <laughs> right. So the bar is set pretty high here for you because Mr. Bernstein was completely actually against bringing family members into the business. So the bar is high, but I'm confident in the next 15 minutes or so, this will be worthwhile for the listeners. So, so Matt, first question out of the bat, help us understand and help sum, summarize what Trump Care is. Well, I, I think the most important thing on, on Trump Care um, or the American Health Care Act to understand is you really have to first go back to Obamacare and kind of the benefits and weaknesses of Obamacare that was really put in uh, just about eight years ago was when the legislation started. Um, and its real fundamental concept of Obamacare was to get as many people into the health insurance pool as possible. The thought being there's going to be some really sick people, and to offset the cost of really sick people, you have to get some young, healthy people into the marketplace. So Obamacare did that by putting in um, requirements that each person have uh, health insurance. And if they didn't, they had to pay a penalty. That was the major underpinning. And basically what Trump Care does is it takes that away. It does a whole lot of things um, as well. But that is one of the major things that Trump Care does. It takes the requirement of everybody being in the pool out. Um, which is a, which so then, is how does it work? So, so it's a good question, <laughs> and and I don't think enough people have really dived into it enough to to fully understand how it's going to work. But on the cons in the theoretical, you can you can take health insurance if you want health insurance. There is a penalty which people haven't been talking about too much. That if you don't have health insurance and a period of time goes by in which you are uninsured and then you want to enroll in health insurance, they can look at your pre-existing conditions and potentially charge you 30% higher premiums than you would have had. That's a major change from what Obamacare had. Obamacare basically said, we don't look at pre-existing conditions. We look at age and sex and locale, and that's how we determine premiums and also how much subsidy you're going to get. Um, that no can, longer can I stop you there? Sure. There's been, there's been information that I've read that says that older Americans can be charged more now 
or a higher amount more than they could have under the uh, Affordable Care Act under Obama. Is that accurate? Yes, that's accurate. So, so how does that work? So they're basically going to look at the age and, and the subsidies of what you're getting, and, and that's the change, right? It's the subsidies that you are getting. Before it was called subsidies, now it's called tax credits, basically the same kind of thing. But what they do now is the new tax credit proposal is a sliding scale. So if you were, for example, 20 to 29 years old, you could get a tax credit of about $2,000. Okay. If you're 60 plus, you're going to get a tax credit of $4,000. Okay. So that's to help you pay or offset the cost of your insurance premiums. The problem is that A, tax credits come after you've had to pay your premiums, and B, this is still going to be a lot of money for people to afford the premiums, right? So Who there sets is the premium? The insurance company sets the premium based on actuarial projections. And again, the concept here is you need more healthy people to control premium costs. If all you have are sick people with, God forbid, cancer, everybody's costs are going to go up. Premiums are going to rise at an uncontrollable rate. If you have 50 people with cancer and 50 people that are healthy 25-year-olds, you can offset costs, right? Um, if you don't have those 50 healthy 25-year-olds, all you have is sick people. Premiums will continue to skyrocket. It becomes uncontrollable and unsustainable for the entire country. So, does that get to this notion of high-risk pools? And, and I guess you, you should first help to define for people what is a high-risk pool and, and how would that work here? Yeah, so a high-risk pool is really for people with uh, catastrophic uh, events to go into a pool where the states in Trump care um, would have money to fund these through grants, um, high-cost, uh, catastrophic events. So these people are not in the main insurance pool, they're in a separate category? That's right, that's right. Um, the, the problem is we've had high-risk pools before. It's what we had before Obamacare. And the thing that many people don't remember is there were a large number of states that had high-risk pools, but they were not funded well enough to allow people to continue to enroll in the high-risk pool. So you could have been somebody without insurance, that got cancer, you wanted to go to your high-risk pool to help offset some of the costs, and the state said, sorry, we're closed, we're not taking anybody new, we don't have any money. They were just closed? Yeah, they, they just were closed. The person couldn't get insurance. That's right, that's right. There was no money left. So so in the latest plan, I think there's $8 billion set aside um, for the high-risk pools. Um, let me tell you, that is not nearly enough money. That's uh, for the whole country. That's right. It's not nearly enough money. Uh, we, and, we, and so we, person, we have the same problems that we had before. So so let's just personalize this, right? Because I, I think most of the people who hear this know that I was sick two years ago with, with cancer, and you actually had my bills because they were run through you, and my cost of care was in excess of a million dollars, correct? Right. That's right. So 8,000 of me nationally blows through the $8 billion. Yeah, and let me tell you, there's more than 8 <laughs> There's more than, than that nationally that are uh, unfortunately dealing with uh, situations like this. And, and I have to tell you, if I put my Sirius XM hat on, we get these calls all the time, right? We have a two-hour show once a week where people call and are trying to figure out, you know, how do I get insurance? What's the best in insurance premium for me to buy? And before Obamacare, we'd say, oh, go to your high-risk pool. And then we'd, we'd do the research for the caller and say, oh, sorry, it, it's not open anymore. 
Um, so, so what are you to tell those people if we go back to how we had it, you know, years ago? Or you'd have to just have an enormous amount of money set aside, right? Not eight billion, but multiples of that. Right, right, and and that's probably not sustainable for the country either. Um, and the other change that leads into this, Mark, is in Trump Care, um, states and plans will have the ability down the line to be able to um, pick and choose what is covered under their benefit plan. So currently under Obamacare, there's what's called the essential benefit package, that every plan sold in this country must have coverage for, I think it's 13 um, set things, right, cancer coverage, uh, for example, right? In in Trump Care, uh, you can pick and choose, right? You can go to the a la carte menu and say, you know what, I don't really need that cancer coverage. But isn't that what insurance is about? Being able to, to think in the future and think about the worst case scenario and insuring yourself for that worst case scenario, right? So you may say today, oh, I'm 25 years old, or Mark, as you were 33, 34, whatever it was, years old. I don't, I don't need cancer coverage. That's for people older than me. So you take a lower premium that doesn't include cancer coverage, and then two days later you don't feel well and you're diagnosed with cancer. What are you supposed to do? Too late. Your policy doesn't include that. That million dollars that you had, are you going to be able to afford that? Most people in this country, the answer is going to be no. So on the campaign trail, they talked about um, cross-state competition. Now, that sounds good. I don't really understand your industry, so I don't know what that means. Um, is that part of this, and does that help? So so you're exactly right. Uh, President Trump really pushed this hard on the campaign trail that uh, insurance companies can sell across state lines, and it should drive premiums down. Uh, in concept, uh, I think that sounds good. Uh, oh. in, in practice, uh, I, I just don't think it's it's possible. And, there's a and is that part of this? Uh, it's all tied together, right? We say on the radio show all the time that healthcare is a three-legged stool. If, if you chop off one of the stools, the whole thing comes crumbling down. So all of these things do play, uh, play with each other. So the selling across state lines is the concept that let's say there's a plan in, I'll pick Colorado, right? I live in New York, but let's say there's a plan in Colorado that um, offers a suite of benefits that sounds attractive for me. Maybe it doesn't include cancer coverage, and maybe I say I don't need that, right? And therefore, the premium of that plan is lower, right? I could then buy that plan, right? I could say, Colorado, I want your plan even though I live in New York, okay? So there's two problems with that. The first is tactical, right? So I now have a insurance plan that I bought from Colorado, but I live in New York. Where do I go for in-network coverage to doctors to make sure I can use my insurance if I live in New York after I've just purchased a Colorado plan? I have, so I have no idea. Right? So, so insurance plans aren't national in that way. Well, well, they are national, right? You do have these big national companies like United and the Blues uh, and Cigna right. and Aetna. There are national big companies. But what happens is you've purchased a local company, meaning, meaning you have specific benefits geared around that, and now the payers have to manage a network in every part of the country, right? So payers today look at the map and say, you know, we're not going to sell our product, call it in upstate New York, because... Maybe the financials don't work out for the insurance company, right? So they say, we're not going to sell in there. There'll be nobody that has a United card in upstate New York, and therefore there'll be no doctors in upstate New York, right? They can make that. So decision. that's the issue. The doctors won't take it because they don't have patients there. That's right. 
That's right. So now I can live in upstate New York, and I've purchased a Colorado United plan, but United's not sold in, in upstate New York. So now United's going to have to develop a network of doctors and hospitals in upstate New York um, in order for their members to be seen. That's that's problem one. Problem two is what would happen in my example that Colorado has a very low premium. What's going to potentially happen is that people all across the country are going to find that out and run to Colorado because of the low premium. Right? What happens two years later after all those people are now insured in Colorado and they actually have health care costs that are high, the Colorado premium now needs to increase and thus becomes unaffordable once again. Right? So you've cherry picked and it works for a year or two, but then the costs catch up to you, right? You have those people that have cancer that have these catastrophic events and costs will continue to be driven up. Uh, let me just ask some broad questions. If you're getting your insurance through your employer, are you impacted by any of this? Um, so, so not really. Um, large employers um, really have have set their own suite of benefits. The primary reason they do that is for competition and employee retention, right? If I work here and I have bad insurance and someone's recruiting me across the way for a similar salary but they have great insurance, that's a retention and a recruitment thing. Um, and, and large employers would still offer, you know, a comprehensive suite of uh Benefits. Here's what they do. And for, that changing. and for people who are listening who are who get their uh, medical coverage through Medicare, is this impacted in any way? It, it 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 there's a small impact to them. The reality is it it, it has no impact. The, the one impact will be um, uh, around the donut hole, which is around prescription drug costs. Um, that that may have some financial uh, impact down the road. But that, that's getting very, uh, you know, focused on one issue in general. Right. Medicare is not impacted by this. So big picture, if, if this were to pass, and I will ask you about that in a minute, what would, what's your take on the impact on patient costs? Yeah, so so my gut is is twofold. I know you say we try and not get political on this, but unfortunately this is one that you, you have to get political. I am a firm believer in healthcare reform. I think our system is is was broken and is still broken. I do think Obamacare was a step in the right direction. Uh it was a first attempt. It still needs to be tweaked and refined and changed, and that's an ongoing thing, right? You you got to keep doing that every so often. But it was a first attempt. I think Trump Care's plan um, is a step backwards. It is not a, a step forward into making Obamacare better. I actually think it does the reverse. It will actually hurt a lot of people in this country um, that don't realize it until they enter the healthcare system and may have purchased a plan that doesn't cover cancer, let's say, and now they get cancer and now they have no insurance. So until you know, that's the state of this country. People, unfortunately, are more interested in the specs about their new flat panel TV than the specs around their um, health insurance. And until that paradigm shifts, that people want to understand health insurance and the costs that go into it and the benefits that they get, uh, we have an uphill battle on our hands. Do you think it has any impact on What was that? On Do you think this has any impact on patient treatment? Um, no, I, I actually, I actually don't think think it does. I think uh, the doctors and hospitals are in this to um, 
help uh, uh, with the health and well-being of their patients. Um, yes, from a health system perspective, we have to keep our eye on what's going on to see how it will impact our financials and our revenue and our patients. Um, but we're still keyed on delivering the most high-quality care that we can. And I'm sure, you know, everybody that's providing healthcare services across the country are doing the same thing. Now, yes, there may be tr price transparency that comes down the pipeline. Um, there may be quality reporting that becomes more like a Yelp for um, health systems and doctors and hospitals. So that will have an impact on us. But again, our mission is to provide the best quality care that we can. Uh, and we're going to do that no matter what. Let me ask you to put on your finance hat for a second. If Trump care were to be passed, who do you think from a, uh, a market or, or stock perspective, who are the winners and losers? Is this good for insurers? Is it good for the big hospital systems? Is it bad for both? How, how do you think about winners and losers financially? Yeah, so I think a lot still depends on what actually gets passed. Um, what what was passed by the House a few weeks ago will not be what really goes through the Senate and and gets passed if it gets passed. Um, this will get edited and and sliced and diced up in a hundred different ways. I predict um, in in the committees in the in the Senate. Um, so it's hard to really fully uh, predict the winners and losers of this without knowing what the final. Uh, legislation will look like that's enacted. Um, I think health insurance companies usually do well on this stuff. Um, you know, they say they they did poorly um, in in the exchanges, right? And that's why a lot of uh, insurance companies are pulling out of these exchanges, right? Because they were losing money on that. But remember, that's just one sliver of their company, right? They're making money on all other sides of their portfolio. So I, I always think the health insurance companies will do pretty well. They're big companies. They're large employers. They're not going anywhere. Um, and they have a lot of smart people there that have their finger on the pulse of these changes and can easily adapt to ensure their financial stability. So there may be some rocky waters for them. I, I think they'll be okay. And I think large health systems will be okay too. Um, a little bit aside from Trump Care, I think the small solo practitioners around the country uh, will continue to get squeezed uh, because of other regulations and requirements that are coming down from them, not not necessarily directly tied into health care reform. Matt, we're up on about 20 minutes, so I, I want to say thank you for your time. This was probably the most intelligent conversation we've ever had, so I want to thank you for that. Um, and, and if anyone has any questions or follow-up, feel free to reach out to me. And Matt, thanks once again. You're welcome. Thanks for having me.